You're listening to a Columbia Journalism Review podcast. Today we're talking with Ryan Chittam, a former Wall Street Journal reporter who is now deputy editor of The Audit, CJR's business section. You can find his writing pretty much every day of the week on the Columbia Journalism Review website, cjr.org. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for talking to us today. Hi. How's it going? Pretty good. So let's first talk about what's going on in Wisconsin. Um, can you just give us a rundown of sort of what the conflict is between the governor of Wisconsin and the state employees and why this story is so important? Right. So Wisconsin has a new Republican governor, Scott Walker, and they have a budget problem. And he's trying to balance the budget in part by cutting uh, the pay and benefits of government employees. Um, that's not so controversial, I don't think. What's really sent people to the streets is that he's also trying to end their right to organize, to collectively bargain with the state, which is a, a basic right. And that goes right to the core of what unions are and their power. You know, unions have been eviscerated in this country over the last you know, 30 years or so to the point where public sector unions um, are, the, are the last real stronghold, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of ironic thing or the really bold thing um, about Walker's move to me is that, you know, you have a crisis created in large part by conservative ideology. The budget problem in Wisconsin, you know, is caused by the national recession at large, which was in no small part due to the philosophies of deregulation, laissez-faire, um, the ascendance of capital and finance, the demise of uh, workers' rights, which helped lead to growing inequality and force more people to take out more debt. You know, So you have a crisis. It's in no small part due to conservative ideology. And then you have a Republican governor coming in and trying to fix it by going after unions. So I think that's a little bit ironic there. I mean, you can make the argument easily that government spending is too high, but that's not what caused this crisis and this particular budget issue. It's the fall of revenue from the recession. And do we have a sense yet of what's going to happen there and also what's going to happen in the other places where this protest seems to be spreading, like... um Indiana and Ohio. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it could be the labor movement's Waterloo, and that's why you're mm. seeing such a strong reaction w- with the protests. Or it could be, you know, their Thermopylae or something, where they <laughs> where they make their stand and fight back the you know the opposing forces. I don't know. Is Thermopylae the right thing? It's been a long time since I took history. That sounds right. To I me. think that was the Spartans and the, what, the Persians. But okay, nice extended metaphor. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm going to move on to a different topic now. Um, last week there was a lot of discussion about Apple's policy of taking a 30% cut out of subscription costs of iPhone and iPad apps. So, for right. instance, if a newspaper or magazine wants to charge for its content on one of those platforms. Apple gets a third of that money, basically. And Apple's position, I guess, is that they built the platforms so they can charge what they want. But do you think publishers will be able to afford that cut? And what do you think about that policy? No, it's like, you know, you're, you're killing the baby in the cradle, kind of, if you're Apple. It's in their interest to 
fertilize this, you know, this field to, to get good digital publishing for the iPad. And if you're taking a third, essentially, of the top-line revenue, it's just going to make it that harder to get started. Mm. That number is just too high. Say you got the New York Times. Theoretically, the New York Times quits publishing its paper and goes online only, you know, uh, iPad only, tablet only. So all the New York Times, their sales reps, their news reporters, editors, administration, everything, all the revenue they bring in and all that work, 30% of it's going to go to Apple because Apple hosts them and they let people buy um, subscriptions and daily copies with a click. It's just It just doesn't make sense. And, you know, when you think about the, the promise of online publishing and tablet publishing, what everyone talks about is we're not going to have to use ink, paper, and trucks, which is hugely right. expensive. But then you bring in a 30% cut for the platform, and then what's the difference? I mean, now that, That's a very smart point. That has always been the promise of digital. I mean, even before the, the World Wide Web, you know, people were talking about e-editions and stuff and these massively expensive printing presses that cost $100 million to mm-hmm. buy and install and then, and then your press labor and your paper and the trees that are cut down, all that stuff you could get rid of, which is about half of the cost of putting out publication, I think maybe a little more than. And so while that's still a little bit of a better trade, it's not much. And the, the problem there is that with print, you know, of course, as we've seen, you're trading dollars of revenue for pennies and maybe nickels. So the numbers just don't work. So the best hope is that you have a strong competitor come in and that forces Apple to lower its prices, like Google um, online anyway has a new program and they're going to charge 10%. Now, 10%, just I haven't looked at any studies or anything, but just sort of back of the napkin thing, that seems pretty fair to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's even still a bit high. But 10% you can work with. A third, 30% is too much. And it's going to, you know, you've already got publishers in the, the weakest state they've ever been in. And um, to give away a third of their revenues in this fast-growing platform is just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, Finally, um, to travel back in time a little bit to the Bernie Madoff story, um, there have been some developments in the past week that you've covered for CJR. Um, first, there was a New York Times reporter who got an exclusive interview with Madoff himself in prison. And now Wednesday, the New York Daily News reports that a lawyer for the Madoff victims is going after the top lawyer for the SEC. So can you uh, catch us up a little bit on those developments? Yeah, I think the Madoff story has gotten interesting in the last couple of months. You know, when it first broke, I was, to be honest with you, I was a little irritated because it was it was such a massive scandal and such a massive story, but it took the press's eye a little bit off the ball of what caused the overarching crisis. Mm-hmm. You had this great story, you know, of just like almost pure evil and fraud. And it, in the last couple of months, though, we've seen some reports that placed this Madoff better in context of the sort of ethical and moral system that, such as it was, it was that 
pervaded Wall Street. So, you know, you've got um, the trustee, Irving Picard, um, filing lawsuits, and you gotta you got to say up front that this is a guy who's filing lawsuits. There's no judgment yet, and he's got an interest to try to, like, throw all this stuff out and make big numbers so to drive people to the settle, you know, right. settling table. But he sued J.P. Morgan and said they um, were at the very center of the Madoff fraud. Um, they enabled him. They should have known or they did know what he was doing. And he's got some pretty uh, dicey emails for J.P. Morgan, internal emails talking about their skepticism of Madoff's returns. And um, so I think these new Madoff stories show more clearly that Madoff could have been part of the culture on Wall Street that enabled and created uh, the conditions that led to the the subprime crisis and the financial crisis as a whole. It it wasn't just a one-off thing as some crook that snookered everybody. If Picard is right, and Madoff himself is right, he said in in this Diane Enriquez interview with the Times, then the banks and some hedge funds knew about this. So uh, it has analogies to what went on in subprime and with the CDOs. And Wall Street knew that these things were fraudulent, but it bought them and sold them without telling people. And in many cases, demanded money back when it found out they were fraudulent, but didn't pass it on to the people it had sold it to. So I think it's a, you know, it's a window into that culture, a really sick culture that led to the crisis. Ryan Chittam, Deputy Editor of The Audit, CJR's business section at CJR.org. Thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, good talking to you, Lauren. This has been a Columbia Journalism Review podcast, produced by Lauren Kirchner. Theme music by Tim Hoyt. Visit CJR.org for fresh media criticism and behind-the-scenes stories every day, and to subscribe to the prize-winning magazine, now in its 50th year. The Columbia Journalism Review at CJR.org. Strong press, strong democracy.